I want you to flip over to Colossians chapter 3 with me. The notes has the scripture in there. We're going to look at verses 322 through 4.1. This is going to continue the thought that Paul had last week. How many of you are glad I didn't finish this part last week? Because parenting was long enough, wasn't it? When we got into the parenting and relationships, we went long enough, didn't we? Just think if I would attack this on there. We'd, we'd still been there. And you guys would have been really upset with me. It would have been great. Um, 322, I want to look at this for a second. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please all, them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Working, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters... Be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Any of you actively slaves? Just want to clear this up. That does not give you permission to check out at this moment. We're going to talk about this a little bit. Because this scripture is very relevant to our lives today. And I'll bring it all back around in just a minute. But I do want to touch on a couple things. Some of you know this is Black History Month. In February in our country, we have Black History Month. And part of the battle and struggle that we've had in our country goes back to when we were first founded and there was slavery in our country. And the slavery that we had in our country was particularly around one particular race. People were taken from Africa, brought to America, and sold as slaves. Not a very shining moment in our country. Not really the things that we, uh, that we are excited about. Many of those slave owners were Christians. The past sin of our country is something we still deal with today. And it's a cause of, uh, that has, it's where a lot of the racial tension that we have has roots all the way back to slavery. So over the years, people have used scriptures like this one in Colossians and in Ephesians 6, Paul also uses similar. Remember last week we kind of paralleled the parenting and relationship things between Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and 6. It parallels again this week. And some people and, and slave owners and things have went on to say, well, you see that God is favorable to these things, otherwise it wouldn't be in scripture this way. God is never favorable to somebody being mistreated and demeaned. Now, Paul in this is using his position and his authority to speak both to slaves and their masters and trying to change things from within. This comes out of, you guys, some of you guys have fire Bibles. If you've never gotten a fire Bible, talk to me. We'll, we'll work on getting you a fire Bible. You can order them online. They're an amazing tool. That's what we use on our Sunday morning small groups. It's not a different Bible than any other Bible. It's just the study notes. When you get a fire Bible, it has study notes in there. And these study notes are great. This comes right out of the fire Bible based on 322. It says, Paul does not approve of slavery, nor does he authorize revolt against masters. Did you catch that? He didn't tell the slaves to rise up. And he did not condone slavery. 
He simply instructs slaves and masters how to conduct themselves in a Christ-honoring way. By doing so, he attempts to change this undesirable situation from within. Think about that for a minute. It's the way we change. Look, you will never hear me endorse a political candidate from this pulpit. You might see different bets that I have politically by based on certain things that I value, but you will never see me endorse a political candidate because I believe that true change happens with the church changing the climate and the culture of our country, not any one leader. I pray for our president, but there are days that I don't like him very much. And I can say that about probably almost every president we've ever had. So whether you voted for him or whether you didn't, I really don't care. I'm going to pray for our president because that's what God's told me to do. I'm going to do everything I can because I'm under that authority. So here's the thing. It's not about the circumstances that we are in, but how we conduct our lives. We may not be slaves to another human. We're not. There is still slavery in America. We call it human trafficking now. We've had different buzzwords for it over the years, but human trafficking is a big thing right now. Go to any campus. Atlanta happens to be one of the largest producers of human trafficking in the world. Not just our country, in the world. God hates it. He hates it when somebody's mistreated and misused. And that's why there's ministries all over that are helping with human trafficking. And, and uh, so we, I'm not going to get into all of that today, but there, we, may, we may not be slaves to, sermon, to humans, but we do serve others on a daily basis. And how we conduct ourselves and direct, is a direct reflection to where we've put down roots. See, if we're deeply rooted in Christ in every relationship we have, no matter whether it's of our own accord or people that we serve, what comes out of us is where our roots are rooted deep into. If we're rooted into Christ, the character of Christ is going to flow out of us. And so I want to look at this for just a minute. Before we jump into this first point, though, I want to give a little background to what slavery was like when Paul wrote this. So we know about slavery in our country. We know that we fought a civil war. We did all those things. And, you know, even though the civil war, we, we tag it all about slavery, it was about more than just that. But slavery was a direct result of that, of the abolishment of slavery. But we still have had those things. We've been dealing with them for, for years. In Roman culture, here's how you became a slave. In the Roman Empire, there was two types of people. You were either slave or free. That was pretty much it. You were slave or free. And actually, you can get a little bit further down into it because if you look at Paul, you were either a Roman citizen or you were a non-Roman citizen, but actual People that lived in Rome were either slave or free. And you became a slave through several different ways. One, the most common way, was you're a prisoner of war. It wasn't when they're, where they went to another country and just ripped people out of their lives and took them in to be their slaves. They would conquer. Romans were really known for conquering. And they would take the people that they conquered and made them slaves. That was the most common way. The second thing was punishment for crimes committed. Maybe you didn't pay your taxes. Maybe you didn't do some of those things. They would make you a slave. Now, obviously, if you were going to be an endangerment to other murder and things like that, you usually just got killed. You know, if you murdered somebody, they were going to kill you. 
They believed in corporal punishment. But for some of those crimes that, had, that weren't as serious in that matter, they made you a slave. You could be born into slavery. If you were a slave and had a child, that child became a slave. Oftentimes, their form of birth control was to have the child then leave them out to the elements and slavers would come and pick them up and turn them into slaves and raise them. Actually, there's a ministry that is based here. The office is here in desktop um, called Hope Boxes, and that's one of the things that they're working with is that uh, these women that are being human trafficked will get pregnant and don't have the means and don't want their children to become slaves as well, and, and their pimps will take the children and put them in homes like foster care. <laughs> really, it's kind of what it's like, and they will raise the kids to be trafficked as well. So uh, these ladies have kind of caught on to this and have found refuge centers that they can go and have their kids and give them to a place like Hope Box, and Hope Box has families that will raise those kids. Through the, they do it all through the system, almost like foster care. It's pretty crazy. But that's kind of how this, you know, you're born into slavery. Your life was not your own. The other one could be that the person could not pay a debt and they became a slave to their debtor. You read in Scripture where um, people would often basically give their children to pay off a debt. Their children would become a slave to pay their debt or they become a slave themselves. Children were viewed as property back then. You've got to remember that. Pretty much everybody was treated as pop- property in a way or one way or another. So you could become a slave to pay off your debt. The final one was to sell yourself into slavery to improve your social standing. Believe it or not, being a slave was better than being a homeless bum on the street because you got fed, you had all those things, and you had pretty much employment. Now here's the cool thing about that for Romans, and I say cool in a weird way. Um, They could save up money and buy their freedom from slavery. Now, they had to pay not only the person that owned them, but also a huge exorbitant tax to the Roman government to become free. And when they became free, their social standing would be reflective of who they served, and they would actually have a higher social standing than they did before they went in. They'd be free. Now, it often didn't work out that way. They sold themselves into slavery and lived there the rest of their lives, still better than begging on the street if they had a good owner. So it improved their social standing, and many of them came out with a trade and, became, and went on to become business owners. They could buy their freedom. They could buy their citizenship. And even though their citizenship would still be below those naturally born citizens, they could still do that. So slavery had a much different feel in the Roman Empire than it did in early America. See the difference? Now, it does not excuse slavery, but you have, to re- you have to know this in context to understand all the things that Paul says. Now, fortunately, our country's done away with legal slavery. We've already talked about human trafficking, the illegal slavery. Some, most of us are slaves to a lot of things. A lot of us are slaves to credit card debt. A lot of us are slaves to our own sinful lives, and, and Paul talks about that. So the first point today is we all live under authority. We all live under authority, every single one of us. Even if you're a business owner, 
and work for yourself in America, you still are under the authority of the federal government. You're under the authority of state government. You're under authority. We're under the authority of God. So we all live under authority, every single one of us. It might be your boss. It might be the government. It could be your parents. It could be any number of things. But we're under authority. You're under the authority of school teachers and principals if you're in school. We're all under authority. Even as the pastor of your church, I'm under the authority of our denomination. I answer to them. I'm under the authority of a lot of different people. I don't want to be out from under the authority because I need people to hold me in check. So the truth is we're all servants to a point. Now we have freedom. We can get ourselves into a job and we don't like it. We can walk away from that job. Now, I'm not going to advocate walking away from that job if you don't have, one, the resources in the bank to live for a little while, or two, another job lined up. Now, sometimes we'll trade one job problem for another job problem. It's kind of like getting rid of a car that is always breaking down and going buying another used car, and it always breaks down just in a different way. You know, we sometimes trade our problems for other ones, but we are all under authority. We're all subjective to somebody else. So here's how this applies to our lives. I want us to look at verses 22 and 23 again. See, the point is we all serve somebody and our actions and our attitudes should reflect Christ in whoever we serve. Verses 22 and 23 again says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Employees, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Students, obey your earthly masters, your teachers. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching. I love that line, not just when they're watching. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord, working willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Paul says it again in Ephesians, very similar, slaves obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Paul is telling us that whether we work for an individual or whether we work for a corporation, and no matter who we work for, we should work to the best of our ability and try to do everything we can to please those that we work for. Now there are lines to that when it when who we work for goes against God, then we have to make some decisions. Just like with our government. Because relationship with God comes first. But no matter who we work for, we should give them our very best. I wholeheartedly believe that Christians should be the best employees that ever walked the planet. Because we're not working for man, we're working for God. So our actions and our attitudes should reflect that. So I love it when he says, please them all the time, not just when they're watching. How many times have you worked at a place where when the boss is away, it says the mice will play? You've heard that saying? Man, I have worked in places, especially when I worked fast food and restaurant industry, you see the mediocrity everywhere. You know, the manager's gone and everybody's like snacking out of the chicken nugget bin and, 
you know, doing all kinds of things that they shouldn't be doing. We had one guy get fired because he stole two dozen eggs from McDonald's, went out and put them in the back. I don't know why he needed two dozen eggs. Maybe he was going to egg somebody's... I don't know what he was going to do with them. But here's how many of us live our lives. We do just enough to get by. We don't like our job. We don't like our boss. So what do we do? We do the minimum that's required. We punch our card in and we punch our card out and we do just enough to get through the day and leave it all behind. Paul's telling us that doesn't honor God. Because we wear the name of Christ as Christians. So we should do the very best that we can every day of our lives. Now, are we going to be perfect? Are we going to be model all the time? Not necessarily. We're still going to get frustrated with our bosses from time to time. We're still, but the point is, we still serve someone. We serve them for a paycheck. Now, we have the freedom to go home and we have the freedom to walk away, but we still serve. And when we serve, we should do the very best we can. Not just enough. Mediocrity is a sin. And what I mean by that is not that you aren't the best at whatever, but even if you're not the most talented or the most gifted at what you're doing, you should work as if you're working for the Lord and give your very best. I think God is so extremely displeased when we live mediocre lives where we do just enough because we're not honoring Him. And that might hurt a little bit today. I know it hurts me sometimes. But we want to honor God with our lives. If we call ourselves Christians, we should do everything we can to represent Christ in the way we live, act, and everything we do. That's what Paul's saying. We need to get a mind shift off of working for me and working for Christ, to working for Christ. Because when I work for me, I'm just going to do what I need to to get by or to do. And some of us are really driven and we do just, you know, we're, we're driving to get the most money or whatever it is. And, and you know, if, you live, if you're in one of those commission jobs and you're a good seller, you might make a lot of money that way. But you're doing it all for yourself. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with being good at your job and making money and all of those things but our attitude should reflect Christ. And when we're doing a good job and we're serving customers, we want to serve them as if we're serving Christ. And God will bless you when you do that. We'll, we'll see that in a little bit. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But as Christians, we should be the best that we can be. We should let our, honor, our life honor God in everything that we do. So here's the benefits to giving your best. And I kind of talked about this. When you honor God with your life and attitude, as a result, it will draw other people to Christ. That's the first and number one benefit. Even people that resent us for our attitude and our actions will see Christ in us, and they probably resent us because God's blessings are upon us. But we draw people to Christ by being good workers. We draw people to Christ by having a great attitude. Let your life reflect Christ. Let that be said of you. Even if they mock and demean you, which Jesus said they're going to do because that's what they did to Him, you still should give your very best. The second thing is God's blessings 
will be upon your lives. Look at verse 24. It says, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. We are going to be rewarded for the work that we do. Whether it's an earthly reward or an eternal reward, we're going to be rewarded for the way that we work when we honor God. You can go back to the parable of the talents. I didn't even put that in here. This is free. I'm just going off the... But if you remember the parable of the talents and the master gave each of them a certain amount, they were going to go and, you know, he's going to go away for a while and the one guy buries it. And then the other ones go and double the money that he gave them. And he, to the ones that doubled the money, he said, well done, and gave them more money. And to the one that buried him, said, you miserable servant, get away from me. Why didn't you do something with what I gave you? At least try. Even if you'd have lost it, I'd have been okay if you'd have been doing something. Do the best with what you have. Honor God with the way you work and live. Ephesians 6, 8 says, Remember that the Lord will reward each one of you, or each one of us, for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or free. God does not differentiate between that. He cares about our heart, our attitude, and our faithfulness. I'm going to brag on my wife for a minute. She didn't know I was going to say it. She is an incredible worker. Sometimes even to a fault when she gets driven towards a project. And sometimes that leads to everybody wanting her to work for them and wanting her to accomplish things because she works so hard and people recognize the work that she does for them. She is in demand. And that's a high honor. It's a high honor. Some of you guys know in Genesis um, story of Joseph. It spans from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. I'm not going to read that today. We would still be reading that by the time lunch was over and some of you would just be gone. It would be fine. But if you want to read this story, I encourage you. This is probably one of my favorite stories throughout Scripture. The story of Joseph. From ver- like I said, Genesis 37 is kind of where it picks up through Genesis 50. Now, Joseph was the son of Jacob, who later begot God named Israel. If you want to get into your history, this is where the, the birth of Israel comes out of the brothers of Joseph. Now, back then, they had a lot of different wives, and, and, and Jacob loved Rachel. Wasn't his first wife. You have to go back further. I'm not going to go into that whole story, but he really loved Rachel. And Joseph was the firstborn to Rachel, but he was actually Jacob's 11th son of 12. He had two children with Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was the older. And it says, and it tells us in Genesis chapter 37 that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. We're not supposed to do that as parents, but it says that he gave him a coat of many colors, gave him all those things, a lot of blessings. And Joseph had this relationship with God that was a little bit different, and he had these dreams. God put these dreams in him, and he had a dream where his family would bow down to him. I'm not going to go into all the details of it. You can read he had two different dreams, and both times his brothers bowed down to him, and one of the dreams, his parents bowed down to him. And he made the mistake, and it was actually the leading of God, 
but he told his brothers about this dream. Now he's almost the youngest, and he comes to his brothers and says, hey, this is what my dream was. And his brothers are like, what, you're going to tell me I'm going to bow down to you? Who do you think you are, punk? So he didn't make a lot of friends with his brothers when he said, hey, you're going to bow down to me. That's what God told me. And so his brothers get upset with him. And so they devised this plan actually to kill him. Then his one brother, Reuben, said, no, nah, no, nah, let's not do that. Let's just put him in this cistern or this pit. It was dry. It's where water would pool. And then he was thinking, I'll come back and rescue him later. But they put him in the pit. And then they see these Egyptian slave traders off, far off. And they said, oh, you know what? Better yet, let's sell him to them. So he's sold into slavery. And they take his coat of many colors and they rip it all up and they put blood of an animal on it and they go back to their dad and said, hey, look, Joseph was devoured. This is all that's left. And I'm paraphrasing, but I think you guys get the idea. He's sold to the Egyptian um, slave traders. They sell him to a man named Potiphar. He goes into Potiphar's house and does such a good job, works so hard, honors God with his life, he becomes the head of Potiphar's household. There was only one thing held back from him, and that was Potiphar's wife. Joseph was in charge of everything in Potiphar's household. Pretty big deal as a slave. He said, just leave my wife alone. Now, Potiphar's wife was a few words I'm not going to mention today. But she kept trying to seduce Joseph. Apparently, Joseph was a nice-looking man. So she would, commonly, she would come after him and come after him and come after him, and he would refuse and refuse and refuse. And so one day, he came into the house and noticed all the other servants were gone. And Potiphar's wife comes out and says, Hey, come on, come with me. And, she, and Joseph did the only thing he knew to do, which is probably different than the majority of men I know. And he ran the other way. He took off running. But she had a hold of his robe and his robe tore off. And he just took off and ran. Now she did the one thing that would mess this up. She was ticked. She'd been trying for a while to get his attention and she was refused. So she screamed and yelled rape. And the servants all came. And Potiphar was obviously upset. Took his wife's word. And what did he do? He had Joseph thrown into prison. So Joseph went from being the beloved of his father to being sold into slavery, became the head of that household, then gets put into prison for something he didn't do. While in prison, he becomes the model prisoner, works really hard, does everything, and actually starts leading the prison. The only person that was higher than him was the actual jailer. He did everything in the prison. He was the man. He worked hard wherever he was, whether he was a slave or whether he was a prisoner, he honored God with his life and God blessed him. Everything he put his hands to, he rose to the top. And one day while he was in prison, there was two people that were in the, the king's or the pharaoh's court, the cupbearer and the baker. They're both in prison. They ticked him off one day. I don't know what they did at a party, but they got thrown into prison because something happened. And both of them had dreams and they didn't know what was going on. And Joseph had this thing with dreams and he interpreted the dreams. The baker came to him and 
he shared his dream and, and um, he said, well, you know what? That dream means that in three days you're going to be released out of here, but then you're going to be beheaded. You're going to die. And the cupbearer had a dream and he said, well, that means in three days you're going to be released out of here back to your station with the king. He said, when you do, remember me. And those things came to pass. The baker went out, was killed. The cupbearer went there and forgot about Joseph. Until the king had a dream he couldn't understand. And he went to all his religious leaders and all these people and nobody could interpret this dream. And he's like, man, I need somebody to tell me what this dream means. And that's when the cupbearer remembered Joseph. So they pulled Joseph out of prison. And he comes and the dream was about seven fat calves. And there was a couple dreams. I'm going to give you the one. About seven fat calves that were devoured by seven, seven emancipated, I can't even say that word, seven really sick cows. I'm just going to go to the simple words because apparently I can't speak past that today. I may know what they mean. I just can't speak them. But these really sickly cows came and devoured these seven cows. And he had the same with the bundles of grain. And then seven terrible bundles of grain came and ate the big bundles of grain. And so it meant that, hey, Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And the Pharaoh was like, thank you for telling me this. We got to do something. We need, and Joseph said, you need somebody that's wise that can plan for this. That if you plan properly and store up food, during these seven good years, you'll have enough food to get through the seven bad years. And so Pharaoh said, you know what? You're a smart man. I'm going to put you in charge of that. So he comes out of prison. And Joseph became the most powerful person in Egypt next to the Pharaoh. Even to the point where his brother's family, when they needed food, came and bowed before him. Amazing story. But here's the thing and how this relates. Every step of the way, Joseph's life honored God. And through honoring God with his life, God did what? Blessed him. Every circumstance that he went into, he was elevated to a position of authority. Now, I'm not saying if you go be the best worker at your job that you're automatically going to become the number two person in the company. It could happen. God could bless you that way. But the point is that no matter where you're at, no matter what your station is, no matter what you're doing, do it to the best of your ability. And God will bless you. I love that story. Go back and read that section, man. It's, it is just a very powerful section Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. Just a powerful section of Scripture. Paul gives the same advice to us. To live our lives. To put God first in all areas. That's how we do. So the second thing today, and I'm going to wrap up. This will be much shorter. Honoring God with our authority. Honoring God with our authority. Remember Colossians 4.1 said, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Paul gives the same advice to masters and leaders, managers, bosses, owners, parents. Doesn't matter who you are. Now, I'm not saying that our kids are slaves, but they are under our authority. I'm just saying that we should treat people with love and respect, treat them the same way that we want to be treated. So Paul is in essence giving masters and servants the same thing. 
treat people and work as if you're working for God. Isn't that really the bottom line? That where our lives are working for Christ because we represent Christ. We are Christians. We carry the name of Christ. People know that we're Christians. At least I hope that they do. I hope our lives reflect it. I'm not saying, well, I actually am saying if you wear the t-shirt or get the bumper sticker, at least live like you follow Christ. We need to treat all people with honor and respect, even those people that are under us. One of the greatest successes of Chick-fil-A, if you ever get a chance to go to the uh, headquarters of Chick-fil-A, True Kathy was a believer. Not saying he did everything right. But there is a culture of honor and respect that comes from the top all the way down through that company. Now I know on the individual level when you get out to the operators and managers don't always treat people the same way and I've heard, oh, this Chick-fil-A treats us bad or whatever. But I'm telling you, from the top, there is a level of respect that flows down from Dan Cathy that he got from his father, Truett. And it's amazing. We were honored uh, to go through there a few years back as pastors. Um, they took us through a tour. Uh, it was before Truett died. actually went into his office, got to meet Dan. Just an amazing day. But that culture, and it's in big words, all these key words of their culture are in giant letters all throughout the office. Treat those people that work for you or that are under your authority with dignity and respect. Whether they're your children, whether they're your employees, whether they're the person that serves you at the restaurant, they are serving you. They are a servant to you. Treat them all with dignity and respect. Makes my blood boil when I see Christians, especially pastors, going to restaurants and treat servers worse than the stuff that's on the bottom of their shoes. Drives me insane. I think every pastor should have to wait tables for a year just to learn. I had somebody one day come in and knew I was, I, I waited tables. Knew that I was going into ministry, grabbed my hand, can I pray for you? Yeah, I prayed for me and then left me no tip. I wish he would have just left me a tip and not prayed for me. Because I, I just, I look at the way we treat people. We honor God by the love that comes through our lives and the way we treat people. And that, does, that happens when we dig deep roots down into Christ so that the nutrients and the power of the Holy Spirit is what flows out of us. Now, I know you guys, I know most of you pretty well. Most of you are some of the kindest, most loving people I know. So I see the love of Christ flowing out of you. But if you're like me, there's still areas in our lives that we need to bring under the control and under the submission and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So this is how this applies. No, we're not slaves in the sense of slavery. But we all serve under authority. We all have masters in our lives. What are you going to do with your life? Strive not to be mediocre, 
but to give your very best. And that doesn't mean that every day we go in and we're, you know, amped up on Red Bull and caffeine and all that stuff and we're like super employee that way. But it means that in everything that we do, that we do it to the best of our ability. That we honor God by the things that we do, say, and how we act and live. Paul tied these together with the relationships and all of that stuff. So when you read this, it's all in one thing. It's just too much for me to cover in, in one day. But all of it comes back to we submit to Christ. And when we submit to Christ, it changes the way we treat our spouses. It changes the way we treat our children. It changes the way we treat our friends. It changes the way we treat the acquaintances. It changes the way we treat every person that we come in contact with because we're rooted in Christ and what comes out of us is the love of Christ towards them, respect and honor. Now, Jesus didn't always agree with everybody and there were times that he spoke truth in love. It doesn't mean that we're all happy, flowery people and that, you know, we live some fake life. But it means at our very core that we represent Christ in how we live, act, and do. So how do we get to this place? Like I said, I know most of you, most of you guys are, are great people. You treat people with love honor, respect. But I think we can all grow. See, the way this flows out of us is we keep digging those roots deeper in Christ. And the way we dig those roots deeper in Christ always comes back to the same place. Dig deep into the Word of God. Study it. Know it. It's foundational. It's the words that come directly from God. And I know sometimes things in there can be hard to understand. That's why you have people in your life that can help you with it. But dig into the Word of God, not just once a week, but daily. If you were training for a marathon, would you only run a, once a week for about two hours? You wouldn't, would you? you'd have a training regimen. Our life is a marathon in Christ. And every day, we've got to train our lives through the Word of God. Every time I reread Scripture, I find something newer and, and something deeper that I can apply to my life. The second thing is to live a life of prayer. Not just to pray, not just the, the prayer before you eat or things like that, but to live a life of prayer. Paul called it praying without ceasing. And what that means is that we live an attitude of prayer throughout our day, that we are constantly in communication and connection to God. It doesn't mean that we walk around like Gregorian chants saying just weird words. It means that our, our, our attitudes in our lives are in a place that we're connected to God, that at any moment we could be praying and speaking to him and hearing what he's speaking to us open connection. It's kind of like being connected to the internet and it's just always there. And you can kind of go to it. Man, put some of you guys on a cruise ship where there's no internet and you might twitch a little. But you guys get what I'm saying. 
We've got to be connected to Him in prayer. We've got to know His Word. And we've got to be connected to each other. That's why Sunday mornings are so important. That's why we're trying to give you opportunities through things like game nights and motorcycle rides and, and small groups on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and the Wednesday mornings so that we can be connected. Our roots can grow down deep together so that we can learn and grow together. That's how this works. If we don't do those things, we become weak and fragile. And then we don't, we start to not honor God with the way we live our lives. So I want to challenge you today to get deep in your relationship with Him. I want to pray over you this morning. And I want you to ask yourself, do I honor God in the way I live? When I serve others, am I giving my best? Am I a good employee? Am I a good family member? Am I good in my relationships? Am I doing and honoring God with the way I live? This stuff doesn't justify you with God. It's not about salvation. This is not a message about salvation. It's not like, hey, if I'm good enough, then I'm going to be saved. That's not it. This is for Christians to say, hey, Christians, get your butt in gear and let's do this. Stop being mediocre. Because I think when we do that, we're going to represent God in the best way that we can. 